1: Do you want to step back into your power and share your gifts with the world? Are you ready to make a commitment to you? It's time to reclaim your inheritance as a self healer. Welcome to The Nature of Healing. Hello healers, I'm Roseanne. Today, I'm excited to have herbalist Jean Schneider back to follow up with part two of a discussion on Lyme disease. Our focus today, however, is the plant healer known as Japanese knotweed. Jean mentioned earlier that the spread of this plant has followed the epidemic of Lyme disease. That is the beauty of nature's medicine. So, we're going to learn how this highly invasive plant could be the answer to prevention and an important component of reversing Lyme. For those who don't know her, Jean Schneider is a friend and a clinical herbalist and a spirit healer who practices near the Headwater Springs of the Madison, Wisconsin Chain of Lakes in Token Creek. She spent many years helping to cultivate healing energy on the land and in her healing practice. She teaches educational classes, sees clients, and she hosts a bi-monthly spirit drum. Welcome back, Jean. Thanks for having me, Roseanne. Absolutely. So let's talk about one of your favorite herbs and an ally in healing Lyme disease, Japanese knotweed. Take it away.
0: Okay. Japanese knotweed is um, grown to be one of my favorite plants. And we're just going to go over a few things about knotweed. What is it? Where does it grow? How do you collect it? How do you use it as a food? And how do you use it as a sun? So, just kind of a preview. So, Japanese gnatweed, we're talking about Polygonum cuspidatum. And this is um, a really beautiful plant. Um, not everyone thinks it's beautiful, I do. It's uh, herbaceous perennial and it has. Um, Colonies of stems that look just like bamboo. So they have the joints like bamboo, and the stems are a green and red kind of flecked, and they're hollow like like uh, some of the bamboo is. And the plants can get up to ten feet tall, and then their big dead stalks will stay up over the winter. So right now it's end of May. So these uh, shoots have been coming up for a while, and um, They'll look the most like bamboo when they're first coming out of the ground. So they have um, spade-shaped leaves. Not really anything else looks like this. So if you look up a picture of this plant, the Polygonum cuspidatum Japanese knotweed, and get an idea of what it looks like, it's the only thing that looks like this that grows um, in Wisconsin. So you will be rest assured that you probably have the right plant. Mm So it has uh, flowers, really pretty, creamy white or greenish flowers. Sometimes this is used as a landscape plant, which I would not recommend. Um, Its roots are the ones, uh, the part of the plant that we use in medicine. And the roots are white and have huge rhizomes. And the roots and the rhizomes extend deeply into the soil, 10 to 12 feet. And they spread by creating an impenetrable mat of root and rhizomes. So nothing else grows where this plant grows. It's just Japanese knotweed. It takes over everything. It takes over riverbanks. It loves wet or damp areas, roadsides, anywhere where it's, um, been the soil's been disturbed. And people who've made the mistake of planting this as a beautiful ornamental Um, which it can be, it has busted through their basement walls. It's it's an unstoppable plant. It knows absolutely no boundaries. It gets everywhere. And there's a reason why the Department of Natural Resources has this as one of their top plants, invasive plants in the state of Wisconsin, because once you have it, you pretty much can't get rid of it. And it's really easy to spread it if you dig up some root or rhizome and you're near a stream bank and a tiny little piece of the root drops off into the water, it will float down, get caught on a stream bank somewhere else, and start a whole new colony. So it can survive a wide range of conditions, Um, like we talked about. It's um, classified as the most invasive species in the U.S. and in Europe, so they have it too. The DNR does keep some maps on where the plant grows, which of course they're keeping it because it's super invasive and they want people to know where it's a problem. But we can also use this map for finding it as a medicine and as a food. So we talked about how this creates an impenetrable mat; Nothing else grows there. And because it um, is so dense that even wildlife can't walk through it, So it has a compound that the roots and rhizome secrete that keep other plants from growing too, and it's toxic to other plants. So um, really not good for um, the rest of life. It's just good for Japanese knotweed. Mm. So this invasive plant came, it's native to uh, Japan, China, and Korea, and it was brought to Europe. And the U.S. in the 19th century as an ornamental garden plant um, but it, it is turning out to maybe be an ally for us. So when you are looking for this plant and you're looking to maybe collect it to use, look at where it's growing because it'll grow just about anywhere and if it's at an old industrial site that site may be contaminated with metals or chemicals. And because we're using the root of a plant, the root concentrates these sorts of things. So you wanna look at where you're, where you're getting it from. If it's by a water source, obviously never collect something that's raped by a water source. You wanna collect further away so you don't spread the plant. And make sure it hasn't been treated with chemical before because this plant, uh, there's a lot of funding to throw chemicals at this plant and it's laughable to think a chemical will kill a plant that goes down 12 feet into the ground in an impenetrable mat. So you can hit it with chemicals for years, and you might suppress it for a few years, but it'll start coming back. So check to make sure it hasn't been treated.
1: Jean, I had a quick question about the growth uh, pattern. D- does it grow the same way in Japan or where it's originally from, or is it just taking on this new personality here?
0: Oh, no, it grows just like this there, too. It's, it's like we have like the black walnut tree does something similar. It creates jugulone into the soil, and it keeps a lot of other things from growing around it. But black walnut is from here, so we have a lot of plants that are adapted to live with this plant or with this tree that are adapted to the jugulon. So this is kind of the issue with invasive plants is that we don't have this whole grouping of plants that um, have learned to live together. Nothing else has really been able to compete with this plant, so it just outcompetes everything because of a lot of different factors. So. Um, that's my understanding of it anyway.
1: Okay, thank you so much.
0: Usually the rhizomes are collected either in the spring, or fall, but with this plant, you don't have to worry about collecting so much that you kill the plant. <laughs> so you can collect it anytime. Mm. So I mentioned this is when um, the shoots are coming up. And the shoots are a really delicious food. It's hard to believe we think of this plant in a really new way because it's an invasive plant. But the shoots actually taste like a mix between asparagus and rhubarb, which is delicious. So it has that little bit of tartness like rhubarb, but it has that really delicious flavor like the really young um, asparagus plants. So you cut it off just like you would asparagus, roast it just like asparagus, toss it with a little olive oil and some sea salt, and roast it on the grill or in the oven, and it's really a delicious food. There are people who have whole blogs dedicated to how to eat this like food. Um, They make it into uh, crisps like you would, like a rhubarb crisp. You make it into drinks, all sorts of things. They use the stalks like straws for the kids. Um, So there's a bunch of fun things you can do um, with the plant as a food. So as a medicine, I mentioned that we use the root, but it is something to think about um, as a food because if we were getting this plant ingested on a regular basis that that could also be medicinal. So how Japanese knotweed functions in our ecosystems will mirror how it functions in our bodies. So in the ecosystem, it remediates contaminated soils from heavy metals, uh, too much salt, chemicals, um, it helps stabilize eroding soils. This is an opportunistic plant. If there's soil that um, is starting to wash away, this plant will take up residence, keep a stream bank together, um, steep areas that are keep falling back in, this will help stabilize that area. So um, this is actually a very well-researched plant, especially in um, China and um, they have found that this plant tends to appear along with the disease it treats, which we're talking about Lyme disease. And if you look at when this plant started appearing and how Lyme disease was spreading, the two kind of came together. And we never sat back to think about asking, why is this plant here? We just think of someone, Brought this plant in and had no idea the problem they were creating, and this is what happened. But looking at why is this plant proliferating everywhere, and maybe it has something to teach us. Have we taken the time to ask or listen?
1: Yeah, you know, I think herbalists are one of the few people, groups of people who are so connected to nature that they are looking at that uh, relationship mm-hmm. with nature at all times. We're always looking for connection to nature and we're thinking that deeply to be able to solve problems. And this is the type of thinking that needs to spread, like to, to become viral <laughs> across, mm-hmm. you know, all paradigms.
0: Yeah. Well, and if we would have been asking this question when the plant appeared and started eating the plant as a food, would we be in the position we're in right now? Um, I just saw that there's a new um, peer-reviewed study on what the actual cases of Lyme disease are every year, and they're estimating it at 2 million new cases a year. Which is really interesting. Um, I know people in the Lyme community and doctors that treat this uh, mostly treat the illness um, have known that the numbers had to be that big, but now we're having scientists confirm that that is the case. So if we were eating this plant all along as it appeared, would we be in the position we're in? Maybe not so in China and Japan and Korea, uh, this plant's used as a medicine and a food. In Korea, um, dental diseases and infections of the mouth are treated with Japanese knotweed. In India and Southeast Asia, the leaves are smoked. Um, In traditional Chinese medicine, it's a tonic herb for pathogenic heat in the skin, blood, lungs, GI tract. It's also used for liver inflammation and from damp heat. And it's also used to treat infections, burns and snake bites. So really super useful plant. So if you look up studies, you'll find over 10,000 studies on PubMed. Uh, In the West, which is where we are, studies have mostly focused on the actions of resveratrol. And Japanese knotweed is one of the main sources of resveratrol, which is a supplement that we use, and we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, But the difference is a lot of supplements will isolate the resveratrol and not have the other plant constituents with it, And there is a benefit to taking the whole plant over just the constituents. So in China, there's many more studies than the 10,000 studies that are available on PubMed. But of course, they're in Chinese. So properties of the herb Japanese knotweed. So just as an herb, how it functions in the body is it's antibacterial, um, and it works against gram-negative and gram-positive bacteria. It's antifungal, antiviral, anti So we talked about how um, Lyme disease, Borrelia burgdorferi, is a spirochete-shaped uh, bacteria. So this is anti-spirochete. It's anti-mutagenic, so keeping cells from mutating. It um, modulates the immune system. It's anti-inflammatory, a calcium channel adaptogen and it protects the central nervous system and um, is an anti-inflammatory specifically for the nervous system. Um, cardioprotective, it's analgesic, which means it helps with pain. It's really effective against candida, which is nice because there are um, there's a good percentage of the population that has issues with candida, and this plant slowly breaks up biofilms in the body and then inhibits biofilm formation. So constituents, let's talk about constituents. So resveratrol we talked about, emodin, polydatin, resveratrol. So this is a highly synergistic plant where all of the constituents of the plant work together. And sometimes you'll find if you're looking at a bottle of resveratrol that you might have picked up that sometimes Japanese knotweed is listed as one of the main ingredients for the resveratrol, or you'll find grape as another common one. Um, and resveratrol has been highly studied, and one of the main things it's used for is anti-inflammatory, anti-aging, and it's actually pretty useful in diabetes because it helps the body metabolize glucose. Mm. Um, joint pain is another one it's used for. Um, Quite a few studies have been showing it suppresses cancer cell. That's that anti-mutagenic property that it has. So how do we use this in Lyme disease? We already can tell this is a super awesome plant. (laughs) It's uh, widely available. (laughs) And um, so in Lyme disease, it's one of the main plants I reach for. And the reason is it is so broadly systemic. So just how it reacts in nature, it reacts in the body I was mentioning how it breaks through basement walls. I mean, this plant knows no boundaries. It crosses the brain-blood barrier, and that brain-blood barrier, not many things can cross it. And it's important that we have a medicine that can cross it because the spirochete and that corkscrew-shaped bacteria just drills right through the brain-blood barrier. It doesn't matter that it's there. The spirochete also knows no boundaries. So this can go after it in all those places. And we get a lot of inflammation in the body with Lyme, and especially in the nervous system and the brain. And this plant is a rock star at the brain and the nervous system. So this plant is also a drug herb synergist, which means that they work. the drug and the herb will work to better together than they would apart. So it can actually carry the drugs into the brain where the drugs might not normally get which is great because um, we talked about in the other interview about doxycycline working, uh, or another antibiotic working for about 70% of people that get sick, that an antibiotic works for them. So if you can take the Japanese knotweed along with your antibiotic from your doctor, the two will work better together. So the knotweed also um, stimulates circulation to the periphery and other low blood flow areas of the body. And this is one of the main reasons I use it too, is that it's strongly protective of endothelial cells and prohibits the Borrelia from moving throughout the body, especially in the brain. So if it can keep the spirochete from getting deep into the body, it makes the bacteria more accessible to the immune system because the the spire keeps going to places where the immune system doesn't like to get, and then it reproduces there and starts moving out. But if it can't ever get to these um, nooks and crannies where it can hide, it makes it a lot easier to fight off. And this is also one of the reasons I like to use it as a prevention, because if you are someone who is exposed to a lot of ticks on a regular basis, you work outside, you work in the prairies with the trees, and you're, you're having issues with ticks anyway, taking this would help because if you got bit by a tick that did have um, this pyrochete, it would keep it out of these areas and give your body a good chance of fighting it off on its own and not needing anything else. So just this one plant could do that. So it's also protective of your heart and your heart um, gets affected quite a lot with a Lyme infection, so that's important to Um, So for people who've had Lyme for a long time, have the chronic Lyme symptoms, have a lot of autoimmune reactions, and um, the spirochete kind of breaks your immune system, this plant helps um, reduce those autoimmune reactions and helps modulate the immune system so it's not so hyperreactive. And this, I mentioned this before about gently breaking up biofilms and inhibiting formation. That's another area that the Borrelia spirochete goes to reproduce unaffected by um, your uh, doxycycline and um, the biofilms forming, new biofilms forming um, is another way that, that this, um, the spirochete can hide. So gently breaking this up is important because if you break up biofilms too quickly Sometimes there's a huge infection load there that you weren't aware of, that your doctor wasn't aware of, and suddenly you've released it all at once. And it's just way too much for your immune system. You can become very ill. It's possible to die from that if you had a massive amount of infection you didn't know about. So having a plant like this on board that does it really gently and slowly but keeps at it is important because you can also regulate your dose if you start feeling bad, when you start up in your dose, you can always go back to the last dose that you felt good on and stay there for a while and let these biofilms break up slowly until your body can handle a little bit more. Mm. So it also protects mitochondria from oxidative damage, which is really important because we need healthy mitochondria to recover from the Lyme infection so the form of herb I use, so the old fashioned forms of herbs were tea's for everything. And I found in our Western society, a lot of people will not make the tea. Or if they will make the tea, if the tea is at all bitter, they will not drink it. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) you can do a decoction um, with this one if you'd like. It is not my preferred way to take it my preferred way to take it as as a tincture. And this is something you can make if you can find a clean source of the Japanese knotweed rhizome, collect the rhizome and make a tincture with it. So you can do that with either fresh root or dried root. And um, it really makes, the tincture makes it really portable and easy to use. And basically all a tincture is, is making a really strong tea with alcohol, which will preserve it for many years in a bottle. So it just makes it really easy for everyone to take. And there is something to be said about gathering rhizome from near where you live because that plant is adapted to the place you live. It also um, has its own consciousness and awareness of the Lyme disease we have here too. So the best plants for your medicine are going to be where you live. Good point. Excellent point. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) So this is something you can do on your own. It's not hard to make a tincture. If you don't want to do this, um, you can buy it. There's not a lot of places that carry it. Um, I make it for my clients. I do make enough to sell to the public. Obviously, I'm not like a store. So um, you might have to go online to find this one to buy as a tincture. There are some contraindications and side effects you should be aware of. If you're pregnant or nursing, you shouldn't take this. Um, if you have a Lyme infection and you feel you need this plant, you need to go see an herbalist who works with people in pregnancy and nursing. You shouldn't use this with blood thinners because it's a bit of a blood thinner itself. Um, so you don't want to use it with a blood thinner. And there um, could be some things to watch for if you're taking a central nervous system depressant. With any herb, you should stop using the herb at least 10 days before surgery. And there's a really small percentage of people that lose their sense of taste while using the herb, and it does come back after you stop using the herb. So I'm just clicking through my slideshow while I'm talking to you about this, and there's this really cute picture of this young um, dog who is eating all these Japanese knotweed shoots. and it's interesting that the dog knows that this is a plant that it can eat. And you wonder, because dogs get Lyme disease too, if the plant's just, or if he's just following his instinct on this plant um, being important to keep them healthy. Um, and we could probably follow suit with the dog. Mm-hmm. So we've had some really interesting language around this plant. That it's an invasive plant, that we need to get rid of it, we need to kill it, we need to poison it, we need to dig it out. And we need to be aware of what our language about this plant is because this is a very important medicine plant for us right now. And we should be in awe and appreciation of the plant and its ability to adapt to anything, to clean and repair soil, um, and the potential for it to do that in our own bodies and um, it's appeared when it's most needed for Lyme infections. So um, if you're thinking of this as an invasive and offensive plant, how might that affect the plant's medicine for you? Something to think about. Um, Also something to think about is um, getting a little bit of help if you do have a Lyme infection getting a little bit of help with the herbs. This one's a pretty easy one um, to use, but dosage is really important. And especially if you have a big infection load, managing that in a way that um, you can still be somewhat functional in your life and not be laying in bed because um, you took too much of an herb and (laughs) and you're kind of paying the consequences. And that can happen with a drug too, um, just not knowing what kind of infection load that's in the body. So looking for someone um, to work with on this, and if you can find a Lyme literate medical doctor to get testing and a diagnosis, that's really important too. You can start treating based on the suspicion of what you have, especially with herbs and seeing what happens, but it's always better to know exactly what you're dealing with. Um, That's the best thing to do. And that this plant is not going to perform some sort of miracle. If you're really sick, you need more than Japanese knotweed. It might be a great plant to have on board and to start taking, but you need to look at changing the terrain in your body so it no longer supports infection. And that can be kind of complex, and especially when you're sick, having someone to help guide you through um, some ways to do that that are applicable to your situation and your body. So, Roseanne, I can give you some um, sources for information to put for people along with the description of the talk on where to find your Japanese knotweed stands because there's maps. They're supposed to be used for eradicating it, <laughs> mm-hmm. but those of us that want to collect it can use these maps too on how to find the plant. And I've found the best sources for finding this plant are people who farm organically or people who have. Um, animals that they're pasturing and doing it in an organic way where they're not using chemicals um because a great way to control this plant is to let your goats go and eat it or let some of your cattle go and eat it because they'll eat the plant too and if you can find a farmer who has this that's the best place to go to dig it up because then you know it hasn't been treated with any chemicals and I have just a few more Lyme disease um references for people, a couple of books, and this, this comes up a lot. Um, Stephen Buehner has written a couple of Healing lime books. Um, his older one is a bit out of date, so it's worth getting the newer book that came out within the last five years. And um, it's a great book, and what people who don't read the book from cover to cover, which aren't many people, is that the book is really written geared a little bit more towards herbalists and people that already have some basic understanding of herbs and dosages. Because if you just kind of open up the book and start taking things based on what you're flipping through and looking at, you won't realize some of the things that he's assuming that you already know, opening up the book. So just be a little careful with that. I've had people come in who've started doing some things from the book that were really inappropriate for their situation or their constitution and ended up making them not feel great even though they were doing a lot of the right things. Just a few of the wrong things can really make you feel bad. So just a thought about that. He's written another book called Plant Intelligence that is really good. um, That's kind of fun on getting to know um, this other aspect of plants too.
1: Great advice.
0: Yeah. So I do post on my uh, Facebook page, Nativa Medica, and I post some of the newer things that come up on Lyme disease. So if you're looking for some new resources for Lyme, that's a great place. And then I also post my classes there. And most of my classes lately have been on spirit drumming and spirit work as a personal practice. And then I'm doing a few classes on um, using plant smoke for cleansing, healing, and ritual. And then an introduction to plant spirit medicine.
1: Beautiful. So could I ask you a question about your uh, plant spirit journey? Sure. (laughs) Great. Um, you know, and I've done some of myself, um, journeying when you work with a client, do you journey for that client or not always, or have you journeyed on your own for information on specific plants? Um, give me an idea, like tell me a story about maybe one of your favorite, uh, journeys or how you discovered some information that you
0: may not have found in a book. Sure. So, um, I only do journeying work for clients, mostly if they're in a spirit work appointment. I do use my other senses when I have people that come in for herbal appointments. I will, um, since I know the plants and the plant spirit, if something is really uh, jumping out at me, information-wise, for someone, I always share that with them. But I don't, I don't journey in my herbal appointments with people. Um, Yeah, I have a few plants that are much, um, have a really strong plant spirit. And those are plants that I use for clients, especially clients that um, are spiritually depressed because of their illness or uh, whatever reason really need to have a plant ally. I will use those plants still in a medicine way for them, but knowing and telling them about this plant having a really strong plant spirit that can help lift them up. Um, As far as journeying for plants, I do that a lot in my medicine making and try to work with the spirit of the plant when they make my medicine. And I feel like it makes better medicine when you work with the spirit of the plant in doing that. And I found that the plants do tell me things about how to use them. And I ask the plant, you know, "How how do I use this plant for my client or a specific client or for just clients in general. And I do get great information from the plants. And that's one of the things that we learn about in the introduction to plant spirit medicine classes. How do you connect with the plant spirit? And how do you exchange information with the plant spirit and have that communion with a plant? And it's easier than you think. Great. Well,
1: I hope that entices some of you listeners out there to, you know, seek Jean out for information on this plant or other plants, as well as, you know, plant spirit journeying. Um, there's so much we can learn from nature and the plants, and it's just waiting for us to open ourselves up to it. So is there anything else you wanted to share, Jean?
0: Um. No, I don't think so. I I offer really affordable herbal and spirit work consultations. And I also offer a free 30 minute phone call for new clients to see if it's a good fit for us to work together. And that gives me a chance to get to know what you're looking for and to let you know how I work and what I offer. And then I can answer any questions you might have. And um, we can figure out if it makes sense to work together.
1: Perfect. And your website is nativamedica.com? That's right. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you again so much, Jean. It's a a pleasure to hear you talk about the plants and learn from you. Uh, I know we're all grateful for that. And um, thank you all to the listeners out there for sharing this and learning along with me. Um, Until next time, lots of love. Visit or consult with Roseanne Lindsay, naturopath at natureofhealing.org where you can find her books at her website and at amazon.com Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite
0: social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not Everybody's loving having fun with it Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere,